Well, uh, if you've been with us, uh, we have been through the book of Jeremiah. A lot of chapters, and we went, actually, we went fairly quickly when you consider that we did it in uh, 17 messages. I wish I could say that in the next five chapters we're going to look at today, we could do the same, but it ain't going to happen, all right? We're in a short little book called 1 John, five chapters. You can read it, you can read it in 15 minutes. But the chapters are packed. So we're probably going to get through realistically about four or five verses a week, and we're going to be in 1 John for a while. But I think as we start into it and you start to understand it, you will see the value of the book. Okay? So uh, let me give you some background. Let me kind of set the stage so you have a good idea of, of what the book is all about and, and how the book works. Okay? Uh, first of all, uh, you need a... Uh, you need to know who wrote it, and that's John. Uh, John is an apostle, a disciple. He was one of the early followers of Christ. Uh, what you probably don't know about John is that John was probably the youngest of the disciples. Many people believe that when John started following Jesus, he was at the most 18 years old, probably 17. So think of Lane going, Bye, Mom. Bye, Dad. I'm off to follow Jesus. And uh, the disciples, all of that ragtag group, basically being his family. And so, consequently, John, um, it's interesting, you were talking about names, uh, changed names. When James and, and uh, John, were brothers, follow Jesus, they're called the sons of, Bena- or they're called Benagiris, which means sons of thunder. So, what that means is that John was probably a little hot-headed. Probably a little, you know, you don't look at somebody and go, you know what, you remind me of thunder. And that's a, that's a thing that, that's pleasing, all right? So, so he looked at him and he called him, so John, we know John kind of had that. You don't see it in the scriptures, but John had that kind of response. Uh, young, like I say, a very, very young guy, he becomes known to us as the beloved disciple. He's probably one of the, the men who actually was probably closest to Jesus because you find him as in the inner three with Peter, James, and John. You find him often. Uh, a lot of people believe that at, at the crucifixion, at the whole events of the crucifixion, he's the disciple that's hanging around way in the background. Um, and so we, we know a lot about John. John writes the Gospel of John. And... Uh, that becomes really important to understanding 1 John because what you need to understand is that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all written from a different perspective about Jesus. All right? Matthew is written to present Jesus as king. Uh, Mark is written to present Jesus as a servant. Luke is written to present Jesus as the son of man. So Luke talks a lot about Jesus as a man. John talks about Jesus as God. So when John presents the life of Jesus, you, that's where you see a lot of the miracles. That's where you see a lot of the God-associated kind of things. And if, if you keep that in the back of your mind when you think of the Gospels, it really help you understand where some stories are. So for instance, if I was looking for stories for miracles, most of the stories are the miracles, I would go to the book of John. If I was looking for stories about a chronology in the life of Christ where it goes really, really quick, Mark. It's a servant. It's boom, 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 boom. If I'm looking for stories with Jesus as a man, Luke. 
If I want to see things in the, uh, that, that relate to Jesus and prophecy in the Old Testament about the coming king, Matthew. So, so it kind of helps you a little bit. John is one of the last Gospels that's written. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, not just numerically, but date-wise. What happens is, later in his life, he, he, he's going to write the last four books of the Bible, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelation. Revelation is going to be, at the end of his life, he's going to be exiled, he's going to go to an island, he's going to write the book of Revelation where he sees all those, those things. But prior to that, you're going to have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. What you need to understand is 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they're written from the, from, or 1st John's written from Ephesus. John is writing to the church, and it's written probably about 80, 85 A.D. So here's what that means. Jesus Christ has been off the scene now for about 40 years. So the church has started to grow a little bit. People have started to get saved, and the church is starting to, so they're starting to get little churches, and things are kind of starting to happen, and that kind of thing. And John is sitting back and looking at this. It was interesting. I read a commentary this week. He said, if you look at the disciples and what they were doing when they were called versus what they do in their ministry, you learn a lot about the disciples. So, for instance, when Peter was called, what was Peter doing? Fishing. What do you see Peter doing later in his life? You see him as a fisherman. You see him preaching at Pentecost. You see people coming to Christ at Pentecost. You see that as Peter's role. Anybody know what John was doing? They were fixing their nets. And really, that's going to play into how John functions near the end of his life, is John kind of tries to come back and mend the church. Because what had happened in the church is, as people started coming to Christ, and, and this event, the, this movement started to grow, people started getting everybody jumping on a bandwagon. Good, bad, and ugly. And one of the groups that jumped on was a group called the Gnostics, and we're going to talk a lot about them to get some understanding. And so John is taking a look at the church. He's going, whoa, 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 this thing is getting off track. And so John's going to come and write this book at 1 John, and he's going to try to get the church, if you will, back on track. He's going to try to get it from the perspective of, look, this is where you're going, and that's not where you need to go. Here's what it needs to be. Here's what you need to be. Forget the Gnostics. Forget the stuff that's happening. Here's Here's what it looks like to be a Christian. Here's what the church should look like. Here's what the people of God should look like. So this is a book that talks a lot about what we ought to be. That's why I say it's going to take us a while to get through it because it's so packed. Basically, he's going to hit a couple of things. He's going to talk about truth because that was a Gnostic issue. Uh, He's going to talk about righteousness. He's going to talk about fellowship. Um, He's going to talk about love. Um, he's going to kind of hammer all of these, all of these themes throughout the book. Um, actually, when you read the book, he gives us a couple of reasons uh, that it's written. Uh, one of the things that he says is, he said, it, it's written, and we're going to see this this morning, it's written so that it produces joy in your life. And we're going to see that today. He said, it's written so that, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, these things I write unto you that you sin not. So he, he helps us in dealing with this issue of sin. He writes and he talks about the idea in, at the end of chapter 2 about don't be deceived. I'm writing these things so you're not deceived because you're following stuff that's not right. And at the very end of the book, he says, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this life is in a son. So it's actually a book that's written so that we can know for sure that we're Christians as well. And he's going to spend five chapters saying, this is what a Christian looks like. This is what a Christian ought to be doing. This is how it all plays out. So... Um, 
before we get into chapter 1, verse 1, let me talk to you a little bit about Gnosticism. Gnosticism, like I say, as the church started to grow, everybody started to jump on a bandwagon, good, bad, and ugly. One of the groups that jumped in were the Gnostics. And here's what the Gnostics believed. The Gnostics believed that there were two worlds. There was a spiritual world, and there was a material world. Do we agree or disagree with that? Huh? Yes. Agree? Biblical concept? Yeah. Spiritual world, natural world. Uh, Heavenly, earthly. We get that? Okay, that's what the Gnostics believe. But the Gnostics believe something much different about that. Here's what they believe. These two worlds are not connected. This spiritual world was the world that God lives in. It is God's world. But God couldn't have anything to do with evil. Do we agree with that? Yep. So they believed, so you, you, here's what I want you to understand. They took truth and they mixed it with error. And that's the worst kind of truth, or the worst kind of error. And so what they did was they would take these parts of Christianity and twist them, tweak them, add a little bit here and add a little bit there. So we agree that there's a heavenly world and a spiritual world. We agree that the heavenly world is good and the earthly world is bad. Do we agree with that? Okay, yep, and that's what they believe. But here's what they believe. They believe that God had something to do with the heavenly world. But because God couldn't sin and God had nothing to do with sin, God had nothing to do with the material world. In fact, here's what they said. The material world was created and ruled by a, they called it a demi-urge. It, it was created and ruled by that. And these two worlds never, ever connect. Okay? Now, think about this for a minute. Because here's where it gets tricky. If these two worlds never, ever interact, then God did not become a man. And that's where it became heresy. Because they did not believe that Jesus could come as a man because that's evil. Man's evil. The earthly world is evil. So in their mind, they said... And this is, this is where this lays a groundwork for this whole book. These two worlds never interact. And here's what John's going to do. He's going to spend five chapters saying, yes, these two worlds do interact. And let me tell you how they interact. So let me tell you what it looks like when you live heavenly on the earth. Let me tell you what it looks like when a person with a heavenly orientation lives on the earth in the material world. And he spends a lot of time telling you what that looks like. Because in their world, they were separate. And then what happened is there are two groups that shot off from this. One group said this. One group said, since I am of the material world, my, my goal, my utmost goal is to live at the spiritual level. He called it nirvana. My goal is to live at that nirvana level. And so they did that by denying themselves, asceticism. So they would say, you know, well, we'll abstain from this, and we'll abstain from that, and we won't do this, and we won't do that, and we won't do this. They had a whole list of things they didn't do. And they felt like, the more that they did that, the higher they went. And they, they realized that the higher they went, the more God would give them special revelation. So these people then would focus so much on the spiritual world that no one on earth, they looked at them as kooks. Really? The other group went the whole other direction. Here's what they said. Since these two worlds are not collect, connected, it doesn't matter what I do in the material world. So let's eat, drink, and be merry. Let's party like there's no tomorrow. Because who cares? These worlds aren't connected. 
And what I do here has no impact with that world. So I will talk about God and, 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 and be like God thing and do the church thing once in a while. But Monday, <laughs> Monday through Saturday, man, that's my world. You see how even this Gnostic thing has crept in even today? Because don't we have people like that? Don't we have people in the church that are like, well, you know what? If, you don't, if you're not like spending like three hours a day in devotions and two hours in prayer and, 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 and like living at the church, well, then it's like you haven't arrived. So we got people who are playing that game, and then we got people who are playing the other game and like, you know what, come on, you know, like, I, yeah, I can do that. I mean, it's like I went to church like six months ago. It's like an okay thing. I've got, I'm doing the God thing once in a while. It doesn't matter how I live during the week. And what John does is he said, no, 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 let me tell you something. That world and this world intertwined. And I'm going to show you, John says, I'm going to show you in these five chapters, I'm going to show you how, what happens when you live with that mindset in this world. And that's why you'll see a lot of if-then phrases in the book of First John. If you say, I love God, but you hate your brother, then here's the conclusion. Is this making sense now for some of you who know the book? If you say, that's what he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Don't grasp onto all of this. Don't live with this. So all throughout the book, he's going to hammer these things back and forth. Okay? He's going to talk to us about how we make sure we don't start dividing those two worlds in our own minds all right so with that in mind first john chapter one four verses all we're going to look at this morning here we go let's walk through it verse by verse here's what he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life so he starts right off and he says okay again their belief no way jesus god could come to earth wrap himself in flesh and here's what he says it's fascinating. He starts out that which was from the beginning. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He starts both of his books by saying, okay, let's go back to the beginning. In the Gospel of John, he goes back to the beginning of time, although time has no beginning. And he says, God was there. And this book, he goes back to, he says, that which was from the beginning. He goes back to Christ. And he says, all right, let me talk to you about Christ. He said, here's the thing. Because he calls him the Word of life, and that's important. By the way, if you'll notice, it's a little thing. You skip over it a lot. See where it says, the word of life? That's important. It's a definite article. It's not like, it's not a cast off. It is put there specifically to draw attention to, it is a person. It is the word of life. There is only one. So he says, let me tell you about the word of life. Talk about Jesus. Here's what he said. He said, we have heard, we heard him. He was real. We heard him speak. He said, we have seen him with our eyes. He said, we physically saw God, Jesus, in human form. We saw him. But then he takes it a step further. Notice what he says. He says, we have looked at. The idea is we have examined. You know, I mean, I could hold, I could, um, what do I got? Okay. I could hold this up right now, and you know this is a what? This is a, no, actually not, huh? Here, let me help you out. This is a pocket knife, exactly right. You've seen it. But if I handed it to you, if I handed like a three-year-old, no, I wouldn't do that. If 
I handed it to you and said, tell me some things about it, you would look at it and you'd go, okay, yeah, that's a sog knife. Okay, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, okay. Um, it's, not, it's a weenie knife. It's not a man's knife. Uh, you know, here's a man's, this guy's always, here's a man's knife. You know, I'm like, that looks too heavy. I don't want to carry that around. Um, you know, the most this is going to do this week is open letters. Uh, but I mean, you would look at this and you go, that's a knife. You have not examined it. But if I handed it to you and said, here, play with it for a while, tell me about it. Now you've, you've looked at it. You've examined it. You can tell me about it. John says, look, not only did we see him, not only did we hear him, but we examined his life. John could literally say, you know what? I walked with the guy for three years. When he slept, I slept. When he ate, I ate. When he was walking, I was walking. When he would sit down with friends, I would sit down there right in the middle. I have examined his life. I've been up close and personal and real with him. And then he goes on to say this, and we've touched him. He said, I've touched him. Because what is he saying to these people? He's saying, listen, in your mind, in your little world, you don't see these two connected. But I'm telling you, he is real, and he is as real as it gets. And by the way, at this point, Jesus has been gone for probably 40 years. So John's looking at him going, he is as real as real can be. And so he's, he's debating this kind of thing. And then he goes on and he says, he said, and we proclaim... He said, you know what? We're not afraid to talk about it even to this day. And then he goes on. He takes it one step further. He says, the life appeared. We've seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. Again, there's that vulva, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, what does he do? He said, I've seen it, touched it, handled him. I've been close to him, and I'm here to tell you he is the eternal life. He is God. And he was here with us and walked among us, and we saw him, and we handled him, and we were part of his life. And I'm here to proclaim to you that that is with, that he was with the Father and has appeared to us. He was as real. And you know what? We're not afraid to tell people about it either. It means that because I've experienced that, this, by the way, I'll tell you something about your Christianity, Because I've experienced it, I have to share it with somebody else. I can't keep my mouth shut. And when the opportunity comes up, I'm going to tell you about it. If you think about it for a minute, if you would really physically walk with Christ for three years, and you're sitting there and somebody starts saying, ah, that God, God, Christ thing, yeah, you know, I don't believe any of that. That's not real. You're going to sit there and keep your mouth shut? No, no, because you're going to go, whoa, 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 no, let me tell you what, what I know. By the way, okay, rabbit trail, here we go, hang on, we'll get back for a second. Quick rabbit trail on this thing. Um, a lot of you are afraid to share the gospel. You're afraid to tell people about Christianity because here's what you're afraid of, and I, and I get it. You're afraid that they're going to ask you a question you don't have an answer for they're afraid that you're going to, a lot of times you're afraid that you're going to get into a debate and you're going to get, and you're, you're, you're going to go, oh, get all tongue-tied and everything else. First of all, you need to think this whole thing through. If God set up the opportunity, you're going to speak words that you ain't got, that you couldn't think of in a million years. And I've been in these situations. I've been, somebody's asked me something, and I'm thinking like, and all of a sudden it was like, 
I started with what I knew and God took it. And then the next thing I know, it was like I walk away going, man, that was pretty awesome. Because I don't know where that came from. It was a God thing. But even so, what does John do here? Because this is a real hint about sharing your, sharing your faith with people. All John's doing is telling you what he's experienced. And here's what you'll learn. People can argue theology all day long. But they can't argue what you have experienced and the difference it's made in your life. They can't debate that. They can't look at you and say, oh, no, 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 no. He didn't bring you peace in that situation. No, you weren't in my shoes. I can tell you that one of the lowest points of my life and things were most difficult in there, God was there. I can tell you that, that when everybody else at work was all bent out of shape because the plant was closing or the, or, or the shop was closing or whatever else, I can tell you that I was okay because I knew God would take care of us. And what are they going to say to that? Really? Oh, okay, well, that's like your thing, I guess, but it's not mine. I know, I just wanted you to know you're, you can have it too. It's not that hard, but we, we, we tend to back off sometimes. John says, look, all I'm going to tell you, we saw him, we touched him, we, we heard him, he's real. It's real, it's real. And Okay, back on. Here's what he says. We proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard, so that you may also have, and he introduces the word fellowship. It's koinea, it's the main word for it. It's used only, only in this part of the book as a focus. He says, so that you may have fellowship with us. John says, you know what, here's what I want. I want you to have what I got. I want you to be a part of what I, I, I'm a part of. I want you to be able to enjoy what I enjoy. And notice what he says. He uses the word fellowship. Let's not get into all the, all the gobbledygook kind of stuff. Let's just make it really, really simple. I love what one guy said. You know what fellowship is? Two fellows in a ship. He said, that's what it is. Fellowship is two fellows in a ship. What do they have in common? The ship. That's it. You don't know anything else about them. You don't know the size, the color. You don't know anything else about them, but you got two fellows in a ship. And you know what? Let me ask you something. Which direction are they going? Wherever the ship is going. That's the point. Fellowship is two people in a ship together, and they're going the same direction wherever the ship goes. That's not that complicated. That's what it is. That's fellowship. So fellowship church would be what? A bunch of people together in a ship headed in the same direction. So it's really simple. If you like the direction the ship is heading, then you stay on the ship. And if you don't like the direction that it's heading, you either try a mutiny or find another ship. It's that simple, you know? And listen, in Christianity, we have these things called churches, and, and churches do things differently. This church is not for everybody. You've heard me say that. It's not for everybody. I'm, I'm thrilled that, that it's for this many people, but it's not for everybody. We have people come in here like, well, you know, I'm looking for this in a church. I'm looking for that in a church. And I'm like, you know what? Here, look, here's the name of three or four churches that I think you might enjoy. Because this is the direction they're headed. I know, what I know what ship they're on. They're on a good ship that's, that, that's putting their faith and trust in Christ that has the same core beliefs that we have. They're just doing it a different way. And, and you know, they're, they're heading in a different direction. They're going a different way with it. So here, jump on that ship. Go try that ship out. But don't sit here and gripe about this ship. It's really simple, you know. If it gets really bad and you won't move ships, we'll throw you off. I mean, you know, 
I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where, and here's what John says. He says, look, I'm trying to get this across to you. Everybody's going, really? You guys do that? No, just <laughs> thrown me off a long time ago. Here we go. But here's what he says. We proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us. He says, look, guys, we've experienced this. We want you to be a part of this. We want you to join with us in this. We don't want you to miss what we have. And he said, so, so we want you to be part of this fellowship. We want you to get on and come with us together so that we can go in the same direction and walk with us. And then he goes on. He takes a little bit further. He says, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. He says, you know who's at the center of it all? Christ. Notice he's brought in this idea of we. So who's he talking about now? Talking about the, all the disciples and all the followers of Christ up to that point. He said, look, we've experienced this thing. We want you to be a part of this thing. We want to share this with you. Again, in that world, what was happening? These two worlds are never connected. And he said, no, I'm going to tell you. I lived it. I've seen this. These two worlds are connected. He's real. And he has given us a, a, a purpose. He has given us a direction. We're all in this thing together. We're all heading, traveling in this thing, in this direction together. We want you to be a part of it. Listen, you've heard me say it over and over again. The Christian life was never designed to be a solo journey. We are in it together. We cry together. We pray together. We laugh together. We joke together. We go skating together. We eat together. We are in it together. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, Christ is the center of all. He's the one that we revolved all around, but we're all in it together. And he said, this fellowship is all about Christ. But notice this. And next, look look where he ends it. We, again, plural, by the way, the rest of of John, he's going to say I. I write these things unto you. Here he says, we write these things unto you. And he says, we write these things, write this. Why? To make our joy complete. Because fellowship will produce mature joy. Fellowship will produce mature joy. Think of it as excitement. Think of it as, um, you know, because again, when I say joy, everybody's got all these goofy ideas. You know, some of you got these ideas of, uh, I I call them cheerleader preachers. I listen to them every once in a while just because they're fun to listen to. And I feel better after I listen to him, but I understand, I understand the whole dynamic of it. And, 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 and what happens is, a lot of times for us, we get the idea of joy, and we get this concept that it's a, it's a rah-rah kind of thing. Feel better. It's kind of like a motivational speaker. Have you ever heard a really good motivational speaker? A couple of speakers I love to listen to on a business side. And um, I, you know, I made the mistake of listening to one a couple of weeks ago at like 11.30 at night, and, you know, so there I am in bed just going through all the stuff in my head, and it was like 1.30 before my mind finally shut down. I'm like, okay, no more, uh, it's TED videos is what they're called, no more TED videos, I'm done. I can't do that that late at night. Maybe first thing in the morning, not late at night. So anyway, so in relationship to this thing, here's what he says. He says, look, I, I'm writing that your joy can be complete. That can be mature. So a couple of takeaways. Here's the first one. Jesus is real, folks. He's as real today as he was the day that he walked on this earth. When we talk about being a Christian, when we talk about putting your faith and trust in Christ, we're not talking about doing the church thing. We're talking about something and someone who makes a difference every single day of your life. 
We're talking about the kind of situation where that relationship is as real as it can be if he was standing there. You know, I love my wife. We have a great relationship, but part of our relationship is we talk to one another. I don't talk at her. I talk with her. Can you imagine if every day she came home and said, okay, honey, here's the things that are bothering me today. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, thanks. Talk to you tomorrow. Is that not what sometimes we do in our prayer lives? Okay, God, here's my list. I need you to do this, 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 this. All right, see you same day tomorrow. No, I ask my wife things like, how, have you ever thought about this? Again, I'm not trying to be secularist. I'm trying to get you to think. God, how's your day going? Because I guarantee you it's not a job any of us would want. God, what's heavy on your heart today? I ask my wife every day, how was your day? And that's the first time my wife usually has seen an adult. And she backs up the truck, and I hear about it all. And then, that's her little escape valve steam thing. And then, we talk about my day. And then, we talk about what's going on in our lives. And we talk about all kinds of silly stuff. And we talk about stuff that's important and stuff that's not important. But we talk. We have fellowship. We have a relationship that it involves. So guess what? That, you know what that means? Incessantly, it means that it involves time. So she walks in at the end of her day, and I'm on the computer. It means I look away. If the TV's on, it means I hit pause. <gasps> but I'll miss it. Really? Really? All right. If it's that big a deal to you, spend the extra bucks, get you a DVR. It'll solve life as you know it. Okay? I mean, really, if that's the big issue, pause. Off. Give her my attention. Are you ready for this? Uh, kids, adults as well. Every phone that has been developed to this day contains an off switch. Off. I'm almost thinking about in our house, in our, you know, um, I'm almost thinking at one time, the kids got, because I was going to clamp down on this and they knew that would be really serious. At one time, I was going to put a basket by the door. It's kind of like the old Western days when you had to deposit your gun before you could walk in. It was kind of like, I want to say, deposit all cell phones here. You can pick them up as you leave the building, you know. But, you know, we might need that principle if it's that bad. Um, you know, because I've looked at them times like, I'm a pastor. Somebody could have died, but my phone is often sitting over there. What are you getting text about that is that important? You know? What? I know, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Made my case. There you go. Exactly. I, why? Because I don't want to be a slave to it. You know? I've got that time with my family. I want to make the bust of the time with my family. My, I can get to my phone. I can get to I can, I can get to, yeah, yeah, there you go. So, you know, but I mean, is that making sense? Okay. Jesus is real. If we're going to call ourselves believers, we don't have this Sunday spiritual world and then this six-day-a-week material world. No, no, no. We, these two worlds interact every single day because we have a relationship with a real heavenly Father. 
The second idea is that it's a fellowship. Look, some of you are going through some really tough stuff on your own. It's not the way to do it. God didn't give you a group of brothers and sisters in Christ. Some who have been down the road you're heading down. Some who have already traveled it. For you to go out and blaze a new trail. We're in it together. And yes, it means you're going to have to swallow your pride and tell somebody you're struggling. Yes, it means that you're going to have to swallow your pride and go, you know what, I need help. But let me tell you something. There is no glory in an independent spirit when it comes to the body of Christ with people who have already experienced it, who you can tap to help you and give you principles and to walk through it with you. There's nothing like being able to call a friend and saying, look, man, I'm just I'm having a really tough time. Can you pray for me? And knowing that that friend, you have such a relationship, such fellowship with that friend, you don't have to worry about because you know they get you and you can tell them anything. They get you. And there's nothing like that. That's what the Christian life was designed to do. That's how it was designed to be. It was in fellowship. And that's what John writes. He goes, look, we've experienced all this and we don't want you to not be a part of it. So yeah, we're going to talk about Jesus. Yeah, we're going to invite you to be a... Yeah, because we want you to be real and a part of it too because it's made such a difference in our life. And then he ends it with this. Why? Because one of the things that it produces is joy. It produces joy. A mature, complete joy. Listen, catch this. It's subtle, but catch it. Joy is dependent in these verses on what? Fellowship and a relationship with Jesus that's real. Did you get that? Joy is linked to fellowship and a relationship to Christ. Not your circumstances. See, that, that's one of my deals about, I call them cheerleader preachers. They're great guys and, and all that, but I think, they, they, I think they've kind of like taken a rabbit trail that's not that important. And, and they try to get you to think happy thoughts or think positive stuff. And I'm sorry, I can't walk in when you've had cancer and look at you and go, you know what your problem is? You don't have enough faith. You just need to be thinking happy thoughts. I can't look at it when your world's collapsing around you and go, hey, look, you know, just be happy. This is the kind of joy that Job has when his friends are saying, God's against you, he's ready to destroy you, he doesn't care about you, da-da-da-da. And Job looks at them and says, though he slay me, I will trust him. It's a joy that is not this. And you know, if you've ever dealt with these people, you know what I mean. When they're on the top, they are on the top. And life is great. But when they are on the bottom, they are as of the bottom as you can get. And their whole Christian experience goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And John says, no, look, I walked with Jesus. I experienced him. And let me tell you something. I've seen what it looks like when heaven comes to earth. I've seen what it looks like when heaven walks among earth. I know what that looks like. And it doesn't look like this. It looks like this. Yes, there's tough times, and like in the life of Job. But you know what? Not going to rattle his faith. Though he's slow me, I'll trust him. My confidence is in my relationship with God. I, had, I was having a lot of joy and help with my fellowship and my friendship, but you know what? They're not helping right now. So it's just me and God for a while. 
And there was this steady, steady focus on his relationship with God that got him through some of the darkest, deepest things that could ever happen to anybody. And I say that because when you and I understand and we start to live out earthly, heavenly principles on the earth, here's what happens to our relationship. It produces a mature joy that lets us go through life more like this. Yeah, there's bumps, just like in a plane. You know, if you've ever been in a plane and you've hit turbulence, you know, it's like, okay? But hopefully it doesn't go, it goes, it, it's, it, you know, it, it does this it does this bump thing, and then it levels out, and then it gets a little more stable, and then they have to go a little bit higher altitude, they'll go a little bit higher altitude, or they go around the turbulence, they'll do it. But it, it, it's leveled towards this direction. It's not this, you know, it's not this, you know, you couldn't handle a flight like that. Um, it's like a Papua New Guinea boat ride. Um, it's not like that. It's one of those stable kind of things. And John says, look, I'm riding because I want you to experience that, and I want you to have the kind of joy that, go- that we're going through life with. That's why this book's written. That's what this book is about. And I want to challenge you because some of you, <laughs> you've become a Gnostic. And your idea is there's like this heavenly world and you're here today and it's glad you're here and you're going to learn all you can and da-da-da-da-da, but it's not going to make diddly sense tomorrow because tomorrow is your material world. You're going to live for yourself all the time. And then Sunday will come and you'll get in the car and you'll drive to church and you'll do the heavenly thing. And you'll get in the car. The heavenly thing doesn't start when you drive to church. The heavenly thing starts when you walk the door. I know what happens before church on Sunday morning, Okay. Uh, I know how all of that goes. You know, that's usually not a heavenly experience. It happens when you get in the door, and then you go, okay, I'm doing the church thing now. Uh, No, 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 that's not what we want. What we want is I'm the same person tomorrow at work as I was today at church. My language is the same. My discussions are the same. My outlook and attitude is the same. I'm going to bring heaven to earth tomorrow in my workplace. And this book's all about ways to do that. So I end it with this. My prayer for you this week, my benediction, whatever you want to call it, is this. Real Christianity is sourced in a personal relationship with the living Christ. It involves fellowship with God and fellowship with His people. It can and will produce a mature joy in your life if you will embrace it fully this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, direct us. Lord, it is easy to get caught up in this world. It's easy to value material over eternal things. It's easy to value value things over people. But God, this week, may we take a real good hard look at our, our, our walk with you and be the kind of people you designed for us to be. Lord, will you help us? Will you help us to live in such a way that people see Christ in us? And Lord, for the ups and downs and the the, the, the craziness sometimes that happens in this world, Lord, will you help us to be able to live with that mature, complete joy that no matter what happens in our world, Lord, we can sorrow and we can grieve and we can go through difficult times, but Lord, there's a steadiness in our walk and fellowship with you. So Lord, we ask for your hand in that and help us this week to live differently. Lord, if there are people here who have not put their faith and trust in you, Lord, uh, not about something that's real it's not about that kind of relationship with you god would you help them to understand what they're missing and uh lord we'd love to have them 
is not only a part of your kingdom, but a part of the fellowship of other believers. So, Lord, uh, guide us and use us this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's